We want to believe for what God is going to do in generations to come. You know, I think even in Scripture, it talks about storing up an inheritance for your children's children. It says a good man does that. I believe that when we give to things like this, we are storing up this, the inheritance of salvation to children and children and children. And I believe that God is going to do some amazing things over these next 12 months as we press into what he has for us. Um, and if you missed it, I want to tell you, you can still be a part. Um, we're going to have it open throughout the rest of the year. You know, we open it to the December 31st and you can participate if you didn't get a chance to be a part yet um, of what God is doing. I'd encourage you to step in and be a part. Well, today I want to I want to do something and lean in on a on a topic that I believe that many of us battle. And most of us battle this in silence. It's an area that a lot of us don't want to open up because On the outside, things may be looking okay, but on the inside, there's some battles that are happening on on the inside. And I want to read to you out of Philippians chapter 4. If you have your Bible, why don't you turn with me there, Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to stand in honor of God's word today. It's an amazing passage of scripture. All of scripture is amazing, but today this is specifically amazing about what we're going to talk about. Philippians chapter 4, if you're there, say yes. If you're not there, say, hold up. All right. Hold up. Wait a minute. Some of y'all got a song playing in your head now. (laughs) Philippians chapter four, verse six through nine. If you don't have it yet, you can follow along on the screen. Let's read it today. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. All right. That's it. We can go home. Pretty plain and simple. He says, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And Paul goes on to say, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating your mind on these things. Are you ready? True, what is true? Things that are noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you've learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that. Somebody say, do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Can we give it up for the word of God today? I want to talk to you a little bit today and try to teach a little bit today from the title, probably a phrase that you've said at some point in your life, a statement that maybe you've said to yourself or you've said it to someone when someone asked you, hey, how you doing? I want to preach to you from this. It's. I'm all right, but I'm not okay. I'm all right, but I'm not okay. Anybody ever said that before? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. I thank you for how powerful it is to transform lives. 
to change us and transform us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that whatever may be trying to take root in our lives, whatever the enemy's trying to plant seeds of doubt and fear and worry and anxiety, or even seeds of depression, I pray today, Lord, by the power of faith, in the name of Jesus, we would pluck out any worry, any doubt, any fear, any depression or anxiety. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see what your word has to say and how we are to fight this good fight and how we are to not grow weary in doing good and how we are to trust you in areas of our life that maybe we've tried to hold on for a little bit too long. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in a supernatural way. God, we love you. We praise you. Let today not be a day we just came to church and ticked the box, but today would be a day that we encountered the presence of God and that we are changed as we walk out of here today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Now give somebody else a hug that you didn't give a hug yet. Three people. Give three people a hug and then take a seat. Three, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We're going to work in the, the Trinity today. Have you ever had a time in your life, though, where honestly you told yourself, maybe under your breath or in your mind, and you said the statement, you know, I'm not okay. I'm all right, but I'm not, I'm not okay. Now, this can go from either extreme. You can experience this in, in many different ways, but a couple different extremes that we could have is maybe it's, it, it could be that you're about to do something that maybe you've never done before. And on the outside, everything may be looking okay. You know, you're looking all right. Like, you know, you may be a little bit nervous, and, but everything on the outside is looking okay. But really on the inside, you're freaking out. Anybody ever had that happen before? It's like, everything's all right. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. And I'm telling myself, I got to be cool. I got to be cool. But you're freaking out. Anybody ever had that happen before? You're just freaking out on the inside. Maybe it could be a moment where, uh, like for me, when I was asking my, my now who is my wife, Kendall, I was asking her father for her, her hand in marriage. And he decided to show up 45 minutes late and wear his sunglasses. And just I was freaking out on the inside asking for permission to marry his daughter. I, I made it look like I was cool. I'm good. You know, I love your daughter. Really, I'm like, I, I, I just, you know, you're freaking out. Maybe, maybe it came from another part where maybe you were given ready to give a, a presentation for the very first time. Maybe your speech class in high school or, or college or someone asked you to pray at dinner. And, you know, you know, the person like, who would like to pray today? You know, and everybody looks down real quick. You know, they don't want to look up at the person talking. And maybe you, you, you felt this stuff going like, I'm not OK on the inside. I'm freaking out. Or maybe that was from another extreme where life is okay. Life may even look successful all around you, but on the inside, you're just not truly okay. Like your marriage is great. You love each other, but for some reason, you're just not okay. Like you've got a good job. You've got a good career. Maybe your business is even successful, successful, but life may be looking great all around you. You, you got good friends. Maybe you've got healthy kids. Maybe, maybe all these things are actually looking good, but on the inside, you're just like, I'm just, I'm not okay. Or maybe none of those apply. And maybe everything around the outside and on the inside is just in utter chaos. And you're just truly falling apart and you're not okay. You know, there have been times in my life where I said to myself, you know, I'm, I'm not okay. Like, I'm all right, but I'm not, 
okay. From all accounts, I, I, I would even say that life, generally, life was going good in these moments. But something was going on on the inside. Like my marriage was okay. My, I, I, like we, there's love that is abounding. Like my kids were healthy. I'm, I'm walking in my purpose. Like God is moving. I'm watching him do miracles. And for the most part, life was going good. Yeah, there's some struggles. We're all gonna face those. Yes, I've had to walk a faith line and, and trust God. Yes, I've, I was dealing with loss and I dealt with that. But, but considering everything, like life was good. Like God has blessed me in more ways than I can count. I, I ought to be grateful for all that he's done. And even though life was going okay, there have been times when I'm just not feeling okay. Like, even though God is moving all around, there are times when I don't feel like he's moving on the inside. And what I've discovered is that I had gotten worried and I had got anxious about things that were truthfully I had no control over. You know, worry, anxiety, even depression in some forms is about feeling out of control. Like you have no control. You feel like everything's just kind of an utter chaos. But I, I, something that I've learned in my journey in life and my faith, I've learned this. If I have control, God doesn't. Like God's not going to play tug of war with you. Like if you want to pull and tug, he's going to say, go ahead. Because if, if I'm in control, that means I'm running the play. That means I'm making these decisions and God is not. God, if you, if you really want God to do something, you have to give him the control. Now, I don't know if I can put up with like what I felt and what I was dealing with to the level of, of, of depression. But all I knew is whatever it was, I knew that I couldn't stay there. I knew that the only person who was going to be able to get me out of this place was me with God's help. Nobody else was going to be able to help me to do it. I heard a statement one time in my life, and I actually reminded somebody of this yesterday, a statement. I don't even know who said it. I saw it somewhere online somewhere, and I don't even, some of y'all probably know exactly what I'm talking about, but it was a statement when in a time in my life when I was feeling down. I wasn't sure what to do. I wasn't feeling okay, and the statement came across, and it says, nobody's coming. No one's coming. No one's going to come get you out of bed in the morning. No one's going to come do that thing for you. No one's going to, no one's showing up. No, nobody's coming that if you want it done, you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to do something about it. And I remember that, that phrase that got said at a time in my life when I felt so down, I knew I had to make a change. I knew I needed to make some different choices in my life to get me where I knew God was calling me to be. Let me say this, and I want to be very clear. Depression is real. Mental illness, it's real. And I want to share with you actually just some statistics of some research that I found that are really, really daunting. Did you know that one out of every nine people are on some type of depression medication in America? Like if you look down your row right now, there's probably like 18 or 22 seats. There is at least two of them on this front row that is taking some form of medication right now for depression. And that actually one out of every five in, the, in America has been on it at some point. That antidepressant use has gone up in the last few years 300% and it continues to increase. 
That depression has actually become the number one health problem in the world. And as of recently, calls in the last couple of years of, to mental health hotlines have gone up 900%. Divorce filings are up 29%. of young adults have considered suicide and 10% of all Americans have considered suicide. I'm here to tell you today that there, there are some very real biological contributions to depression and anxiety, but I want to say this, but if we allow the biology to become the whole picture, we are going to miss the real solution. Depression is not a malfunction of the brain. It's a signal and it's trying to tell you something. And I want to tell you today that if you're depressed, if you're anxious, you are not weak and you are not crazy. You are a human being with unmet needs in parts of your life. I want you to know that. And I want to be clear that your illness is not your identity. It's not who you are. It's just a symptom you're facing. You know, the Bible tells us that that God wants us to be free, that he wants us to live full lives. God wants you to be happy. Turn to your neighbor today and say, God wants you to be happy. He wants you to live a life of meaning. He wants you to live a life of purpose. He came that we may have life and life to the full, John 10, 10 says. Now, did you know, though, that a lot of people of faith all throughout Scripture, they got depressed? Did you know that? I want to talk about one great prophet that we're going to read about today. This prophet's name was Elijah. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, if you go to read that passage and that, that, that chapter, you will see that this prophet Elijah, who was an amazing man of faith, a prophet of God, that he was the voice of God, he, he, he had just come from some major victory. A victory that like, like when you read it, you're like, man, Elijah was a boss. Like he was just amazing. Like he had just defeated over 450 prophets of Baal, a false God. They were, they were, they had come to a point where they were offering a sacrifice. They were in this argument of who was the real God. So Elijah said, all right, let's do this. We're going to get two bulls. You're going to make a sacrifice and I'm going to make a sacrifice. We're going to cut it up like we're supposed to. We're going to lay it on the altar, but we're not going to light it as a sacrifice. Whoever's God is the real and one true God. It will consume the sacrifice and that will be the one that we praise. So the prophets of Baal, he says, you can go first. So the prophets of Baal, 450 of them are standing on the Mount Carmel. They're, they're out here doing all these rituals and they're, they're doing all their things to try to get this sacrifice to be consumed. And Elijah starts taunting them. He's like, hey, maybe you should shout a little louder. I think your God's asleep. Like, read it in the Bible. It's there. You need to read it. He, he's taunting them. He, he's calling them out. And not, they're, they're, they're like cutting themselves. They're gouging themselves with spears and slashing their flesh. Like they're doing all this crazy stuff and nothing's happening. And then Elijah, with his boss self, walks up to his sacrifice in the middle of a drought takes water, looks over at the prophet's like, uh-huh, I'm going to pour water on the sacrifice in a drought, mind you, a time when their water was in lack. He takes water, he pours it over the sacrifice, he prays to God, offers it to God, and whoosh, God consumes the sacrifice. 
It's an amazing story. And he goes from this major victory of a water-soaked sacrifice where God shows up. He's facing this wicked king named Ahab and his, his crazy wife, Jezebel. This woman crazy. How many ever heard about Jezebel? How many never heard about Jezebel? Go read about Jezebel and be like, this is what I don't want in a wife right here. I'm going to write this down. All the single people. I don't want Jezebel. But King Ahab and his wife, Jezebel, they hated Elijah. They didn't like him. They, they were upset with him. And we get to first Kings chapter 19 where we get to read to see exactly what took place. He comes from this major victory. Now we're in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4, and let's read what happens. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, all the things that I just explained to you. He had, he had, and then he killed all the prophets with the sword. Like he, he captured all 450 prophets, and he slaughtered them with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with you or deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like the one of them, meaning the one like the one of the ones you just killed. Says Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, it says that he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness it says he came to a broom bush and he sat under it and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. So here's Elijah, fearless for three years, has one incident, one threat from this, from this one woman. And it says that out of all the fearlessness that he had, he has this one threat and he turns and he runs to the edge of the desert and he gets depressed. He lays under a bush. He prays to God that he might die. And then he winds up, winds up inside a cave. You see, the enemy wants to rob your life. So much so that you will end up hiding in a cave of despair and depression. He will want to do anything he can to get you to get into that cave of despair. Now, if, if you study the signs and the causes of depression, you will notice and you will see that there, there are nine factors that cause depression. Seven of them are psychosocial and two of them are biological. There are psychological reasons that give rise to the physical symptoms of depression. And I've learned that many times the reason why we are depressed is because of our lifestyle, that we're simply doing this to ourselves. So since it is a disease of a lifestyle, I'm here to tell you today, we have to change our lifestyle. We've got to make changes. And let me say this, no amount of medication, no amount of counseling, even no amount of scripture will do it alone. Why do I say that? All of those are powerful, but I'll even say this about scripture. Holy scriptures are no good without you working them out. The Bible says it clearly. Faith without works is dead. And I think too many times the way we live is adding to our depression. People talk so much about the chemical imbal imbalances that cause depression. Truthfully, 
We need to be talking more about the imbalances in the way that we live, in the things that we're doing. You see, Elijah's depression came right after two major spiritual victories, which goes to show you that you are not your best when you're tired, that you actually are vulnerable when you're tired. And the enemy knows that. He knows that when you come off of this super high, he will even give you a place to get there because he knows that if you get tired and you get weary after all this celebration, he knows he can creep right in and you won't even notice it. And it's come to be found that more and more research is showing us that our lifestyle is the leading cause to why we're facing depression. Research shows that depression is more prevalent for the type of lifestyle today that has become normal in our society. There's an amazing author that said this. He said, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. So we must learn to take order in our lives. And we must give attention to the pace. Ecclesiastes 4, 6 tells us that better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. In other words, it's better to find your rhythm in having less than chasing things that are driving you into the ground. What good is all that stuff if there is no peace? What good is going after that career if it loses your family in the process? What good is having all that stuff when at the end of the day, you're still facing loneliness and you have no joy? What good is it? It's better to have peace than it is to have stuff. Because if I find peace, I'll be grateful for the stuff that I have and I'll find more joy within it. You see, another way that we can find ourselves in this cave is the cave and the trap that many of us get lost in. And it's called the comparison trap. We get in this very easily. Elijah even faced this himself. He, he said he's praying to God. I wish that I would not even be able to be alive. I don't even want to live. And then he says, I'm no better than my ancestors. He was comparing himself and that just made him more depressed. Did you know that comparison is the thief of joy? Like the moment you start to compare, your joy is immediately robbed. And I think one of the most like the, the biggest issues of our day is that we live in such a narcissistic society with a complete lack of identity. Complete lack of. We don't know who we are and we don't know whose we are. And we're creating a recipe for a complete mental health breakdown. We're seeing it happen in our world today. And I'm here to tell you, we've got to stop the comparing ourselves with other people, because the truth is we all have different assignments. I wasn't given your life. You weren't given mine. We, we weren't given each other's. Why, why are we so focused on somebody else's life that we neglect to see the life that God is trying to give you? So instead of wishing that we had someone else's, maybe we should start to focus on the one that God gave us. Because too often we are missing what God wants to do in our life because we are so distracted with worrying about other people's that we don't even worry about our own. 
You see, when we begin to feel feelings of inadequacy in this comparison trap, we start to do this thing called self-talk. And self-talk is powerful. And I want to tell you today that we've got to get our self-talk back to God's standard, back to what his word says. You know, there's this, there's this thing that, that cows do. And if, if you're a cattle rancher, you, you know this. If you've studied agriculture and life in college, obviously we live in a huge community of, of a university that's huge on ag. You, you will see that cows do this thing called ruminating. Somebody say ruminating. Now, how many of you don't know what ruminating is? Raise your hand. Okay, let's have an educational show today. Ruminating is where cows will chew on something. They'll swallow it. They'll throw it up in their mouth. I'm just, who's going to throw up today? Who's got a low gag reflex? They'll chew it, swallow it, throw it back up in their mouth and chew on it again. And then they'll swallow it, throw it up again. I'm just waiting for somebody to run out of the room today. You see, when we overthink and we obsess about situations and life events such as work or, or relationships, we ruminate. We chew on it. We, oh gosh, I can't believe. And they're like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put it away. I'm not gonna think about it. You know, I've been thinking about it all night. I'm gonna go to sleep. And you go to sleep and then you wake up in the morning and you, you throw it back up and you chew on it again. And then you chew on it some more and you're like, oh man, and all this stuff is going on in your head. You know, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to God and I'm going to put it away. And then you swallow it. And then like afternoon comes and you're tired and all these things are happening. And somebody says something to you at work. They didn't like your shoes or they didn't like your dress. And you're like, Ugh! and you throw it up and you start ruminating on it again. Let me tell you, the devil loves to show up in your self-talk. He loves to creep in. Because if he can make you believe your negative self-talk, he knows that he will keep you from your best self. He knows he can rob you of your purpose in Christ Jesus. You see, that's what Elijah did. He got all up in his thoughts and he got alone in his mind. It jacked him all up and it got worse as you read the story and it got worse and it got worse. He, got, he even gets to play. He's like, I'm the only one left. But he wasn't the only one left. He believed a lie and your emotions, let me tell you, are determined by the way that you talk to yourself. In other words, if you'll change the way you speak, you'll change the way you are. And if you'll change the way you are, you'll change the way you think and you'll get in the right cycle. And the best solution to bettering your self-talk is to process with someone else. It's to talk with someone. And there's some of you today, it's time to call somebody. It's time to share your frustrations with the right people. I didn't say everybody. I didn't say put it on social media because that's not going to help you any. Because you're going to get people in there that have a whole lot of things to say, but you need to go to God's word and find the right godly people that says, no, this is what God's word says, not what the world says. This is what God's word says. This is who God says that you are. Some of you, you need to go talk to a counselor. You need to swallow your pride. You need to make that phone call. You need to go have that appointment. And as grueling as a process as it's going to become, and as often as things a lot of times get worse before they get better, let me tell you today, they will get better. You need to talk to somebody. You need to get into a small group. 
You need to get and do life with other believers. You need to serve on a team and build godly relationships with people in community in your church. Why? Because when hell comes and high waters rise, who are you going to turn to? You need people that you can talk with. You need people you can do life with. You need people who you can say, I'm in a valley and I'm all right, but I'm not okay. They need to know because they can say, I'm going to be with you, man. You're not going to be alone. You're not alone. You know, I, there was a time in my life when I was there. And let me read some scripture to you. Let me walk with you in this journey. Let me call you when you need to be called. You got to get in the right world and you got to get with the right people. And because the truth is we often do a terrible job of processing our pain. And we often do it in very unhealthy ways. But the process of health is making health a part of the process. You've got to learn to put health as a part of your process. If that's getting in the gym, you need to get in the gym. You're like, well, I don't have a gym. Get a towel. Look it up on YouTube. You can destroy yourself with a towel. I'm serious. You don't need anything. If it's learning to eat right, I believe that your health is, is a matter. If you don't eat right, how do you expect to think right? If you, you, you want to drink poison and feel good, I'm not saying don't have a donut from Shipley's every now and then. It's good. It melts in your mouth. The sugar is just, yes, Lord. It's from the presence of the Mount Sugar. I don't say Mount Carmel, but it wasn't Carmel. But whatever it is, you need to learn. Because again, nobody's coming. Your wife can't do it for you. Your husband can't do it. it. It's great to say, oh, well, they're everything I need. They're all that I need. No, they're not. You need other people in your life. You need a lot of people. You don't need crazy amounts, but you need at least three or four. Because I believe that we, we could all agree. Let's just go ahead and make this as an as a easy statement. We can all agree on that life is tough. And the truth is, Everyone medicates. We all feel pain and we all do something to cope with that pain. Every one of us. No, pastor, I don't do that. I go to God's word. No, you medicate too. And many of us are medicating in some unhealthy ways. For some people, their medication is alcohol. For some, it's binge eating. It's getting up in the middle of the night because you're feeling sorrowful. You got all these things going on and you reach for the freezer or it's reaching for the bottle or a pill bottle. It's, it's, it's doing something to try to cope with life. And let me just say this. When you have to have alcohol or you have to have a substance to, in order to, to enjoy a good time, that might be an indicator that you have a problem. For others, it might be TV. And binge watching for, for some, maybe it's, it's, it's video games. That's your only outlet. Maybe, maybe it's social media and, and, and you're medicating because you're trying to dumb down the pain. Maybe it's working more hours. Maybe it's trying to find sexual pleasure. Whatever it is, we all do something to try to drown out the pain. We're trying to put the, push the pressure relief button on the crock pot, on the pressure cooker. We all try to find a way to because we're so consumed with all the things that we don't know where to turn. There's a Jewish psychiatrist that did some study. He's a Jewish psychiatrist from Austria, and his name is Viktor Frankl, and he wrote a best-selling book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he believed that 
Sigmund Freud's theory was wrong that that life is not all about pleasure. That it's it's about meaning. And when you don't have meaning, you will dull yourself with pleasure. After World War Two, he he did um, he worked with suicidal patients from Vienna and ones who were specifically who had been in a concentration camp. And he gave them three things. His study showed it. He called it logotherapy. If I could have the team join me. Logotherapy. And this is what he did. He gave them three things. The very first thing was he gave them meaningful work, something to do that mattered, something that gave them purpose and meaning. The second thing that he started to do is he started to put them in a community of friends who loved them unconditionally, found the right people. And then what he did, the third thing is he, he took whatever suffering that they had experienced and he began to try to help them find the positive in it. You know what that sounds a lot like to me? That sounds like a lot what church is about. We do something called church therapy. Where, what do you do? You go get plugged in onto a dream team and get in a small group, start serving with people, doing something that is meaningful and making a difference. That's meaningful work. It's giving you purpose. It's fulfilling your assignment and your purpose as a believer. The second thing is you start finding a small group of people who you can be with and who love you and who are for you and who are with you and love you unconditionally. That's community. The third thing was attending church to hear the word of God. So that way it can encourage you to find the positive in what you're facing. That God is a completer of his word. That if he said it, he will complete it. That you are not forsaken. That God is with you and he is for you. And what can stand against you? That no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That no matter what dark time I may face. No matter what gloomy part I may walk through. That God is with me every step of the way. So the, the question beckons. What should we do then? to medicate our pain. How should we? Second Corinthians one says this. It says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we are, ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we, that we suffer. Simply put, this scripture means that there is purpose in your pain. That what you're facing isn't a loss. That although you, you may not understand or even like what you're going through, that God has a higher purpose for it. And even though things may look bleak and things may feel dark and you feel like there's no way out, I'm here to tell you today that God has a higher plan and that if you will lean in on Him, He will give you a peace, He will give you a hope, He will give you a strength, He will give you a joy, He will give you what you need to get through it. Can we just give Jesus a praise break this morning? for a God that will see you through it. The problem is,
too many times we suffer in isolation and we suffer alone. And I'm, I want you to know that isolation is the currency to loneliness. And we live in a world where we, more and more this has happened. Elijah, the Bible tells that Elijah, it says that he left his servant and that he went a day's journey into the wilderness. He does, he did what so many of us do. And I'm here to tell you, it's a trap. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a trap. Turn to your other neighbor and say, it's a trap. Did you know that the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin? It was solitude. You're like, where is that at? Let me show you. Genesis 2, chapter 18, or verse, chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, this is before they sinned. This is before they bit of the apple. This is before they knew and did what God told them not to do. Genesis 2, 18. The Lord God said, after he made, created Adam, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And although we've made it possible in our world today for remote learning, We've made it possible for working from home. We've made it possible for even online worship experiences and all those things are, are great. I'm glad we live in a day that we have accessibility and things and that's cool and all, but what we are being trapped into is this black hole of isolation and loneliness masked by convenience and superficial connection. And in return, it is slowly taking away life. Romans 12 says it clearly, verse 5, since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us needs all the others. We need each other. Turn to your neighbor right now, look at him real close in the eye. Get to know their eye color. You knew at some point in today's sermon it was going to come. Look at him in the eye. Get to know their pupil size. It's probably really dilated right now. And I want you to tell them, say, you need me. Now turn to your other neighbor. Look at him in the eye and say, and I need you. Some of y'all, that's the most intimacy you've seen in your marriage in the last few months. You see, a factor that gets forgotten in all of this is a real factor, and that is called spiritual warfare. Never forget that the war on the inside is first one on the spiritual battlefield every time and we got to know we got to we got to realize and understand that we are not human beings having temporary spiritual experiences we are actually spiritual beings having a temporary human experience you have a soul and that soul needs salvation and I want you to understand that there is a war going on in a spiritual realm by an enemy who hates you. And I can't say it any other way that is the more aggravated and disgusted way of how your enemy hates you. What if I told you that tonight somebody was going to be coming into your house? What if I said that? So tonight someone's coming in. You wouldn't sleep. You'd be on constant alert. You'd be calling ADT right when you walk out of church. You be going to Lowe's. You're going to buy the ring thing or the Eufy thing or all the other security system. You 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 be Second Amendment would be a real amendment for you. But I want you to see something because we've become so accustomed 
that it's just become a fact to us, but what if I told you all this was going to happen? You see, in 1 Peter 5, we've been told that that's going to happen. It tells us in verse 8 and 9, it says, be self-controlled and alert. Somebody say alert. It says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You know, the truth is your enemy is working harder to destroy you than you're probably working to try to keep him away right now. And we've come to this place in our life and in our world where we become so accustomed sometimes that it's just a fact of life. Sin is just there. It just is what it is. And we've shrugged it off and we carry on business as usual as if like, well, there isn't anything that I can do about it. But let me tell you something. If you're not active spiritually, your life will become a casualty. You got to know how to fight your spiritual battles. You say, well, how do you know this? Well, it's very obvious that God knew that there would be a reason. And that's why Ephesians 6 came along, verse 11, where it says to put on the full armor of God so you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. The bottom line is God has given us authority, but we often don't use it. We don't use it. But if you'll be alert, if you'll resist the enemy, then I'm here to tell you today, you will come out of that cave. You will come out of that cave of despair. You will come out of that place of depression. You will come out of that place where it's in a black hole of isolation that you feel you can't get out of. That if you'll resist the enemy, you'll trust in God. You see, one of the greatest weapons that we have in battle is a name that was given to us that carries all power and authority, and his name is Jesus. Like we were given that weapon. It's like my kids, you know, they do, you know, you've done this as a kid, you play rock, paper, scissors, and you got the ultimate weapon, you know? It's like rock, paper, scissors, Jesus! You ever done that? Cherry bomb! You know, all the different kids, well, I don't know what they do now. But you have an ultimate weapon where you can win every time. Rock, paper, scissors, Jesus! Turn to your neighbor real quick, look at him, and, and do the hand, do the hand thing. Get ready, get ready for it. You're gonna do it to them. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors. No, no, no. I don't think you believe it today. Turn to the other neighbor because you got to try this again. You got to start over. You got to get a fresh restart. Look at him. Get your palm ready. It's sweaty and everything. It's all right. Get your fist ready. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors. You have a name that has been given to you as the supreme weapon that all power and all authority is in that name. All power and all authority is in the name of Jesus. Jesus came that your life would mean so much more than you trying to cope through the pain. And I believe that there are many of us with every eye closed, every head bowed in this room today. I believe that there are many of us who are coping through life, trying to find meaning, trying to, to, to realize what this life is all about, asking the questions of like, what's my purpose? finding yourself in a place of despair and depletion and depression and in a black hole and finding yourself in this cave where you can't see anything around and everything seems so bleak and so dark. You've been trying to live life on your own. You've been trying to walk this journey with the wrong people. There's only one person that is the best person to walk with and his name is Jesus. And there may be some of you saying to yourself today, I want Jesus in my life so I can get out of this mess. 
so I can get out of this cave that I'm in, so I can be more than just all right, and I can be better than okay. I want to live a life of purpose. I want to live a life that has meaning. And if that's you, I want to pray with you today. The Bible tells us in John 3, 16, for God, one of the most famous scriptures you've probably ever heard. This isn't Austin 3.16. This is John 3.16. The true scripture. For God so loved the world. Let's, let's take that word and let's replace it with your name. Because that's what he means. For God so loved, insert your name. That he gave his only son. That whoever, whoever would believe in him they will not perish but they will have eternal life Romans 10 9 tells us that if you will confess with your mouth and that the Lord Jesus and that you will believe in your heart that God raised Jesus that raised Christ from the dead it says you will be Another scripture says that those who call upon the name of the Lord, that call upon the name of Jesus, it says you will be saved. And that salvation, my friend, is something that can happen in an instant. There's another word that's called sanctification. And that is something that takes time. That is something that is the journey of faith. You can be saved today. But when you get plugged into a community of believers, that's where the sanctification happens. You're like, well, I got to get my life right before I accept him today. I can't pray that prayer yet. I got all this junk in my life. No, no, friend. You don't get right to get God. You get God and he'll take care of the rest. And he'll walk this journey. There is no perfect people in this building today. We are all sinners we're all people who medicate. We're all people who are trying to live this life, but we're holding on to the hand of the one who created it and we're trusting him and we're believing in him and we're finding hope in him and we find peace in him that the world can't give and we find strength in him and the world can't give it. We, there, there's nothing that the world can give that will satisfy. It's only in Jesus. He has the power to save you today. He has the power to restore you and he also has the power to do something called forgiveness of sin. We messed up. We've made mistakes. We've fallen error to, to the glory of God. But because Jesus came, he was able to shed his blood, the ultimate sacrifice. We're talking about sacrifice today. He was the ultimate sacrifice, the beautiful exchange. He took our place. He nailed our sins to a cross. He shed his blood so that way one day when we breathe our last breath on this earth and we take our next breath at the gates of eternity and we stand before God, Jesus will be able to stand in front of us if we've accepted him as Lord and Savior and say, it's okay, Father, I've got them covered. And we are covered by the grace and the salvation and the blood of Jesus. And God will say, come on in. Welcome home. And we'll spend eternity with Jesus. And maybe you've never prayed that prayer today to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you've never received that free gift. Or maybe you have, but you've allowed life to run you down. You've allowed the enemy to grab a foothold. You've allowed him to distract you 
and the purpose that God has for you and for the grace that God has extended to you and the world has tainted your view and you may be a prodigal son today where you went out trying to find life on your own and you've come to the realization that I need Jesus. I tell you, friend, as you come back to the Father, He has open arms for you and He will embrace you and He will receive you. He already has. But maybe today is your day to come back to ask for forgiveness and to step back in the arms of the Father. If that's you today, one of those two groups of people, I need Jesus or I need to rededicate my life. I'm gonna count down from three and I just wanna know who I'm praying with today. I'm just gonna ask that you would lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. I wanna pray this prayer. We're gonna do that. We're gonna pray a prayer together. If that's you today, three, two, one. Just lift your hand and say, that's me. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. I see you. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. Just lift it high. Say, that's me, Pastor. I need Jesus in my life. I want to walk with him every day. I want him to make all things new. I want him to help me get out of this cave. I need Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? I see you. Hold it high. Unashamed. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. Let us pray. We're going to pray this prayer together. And I want all of us to pray this prayer out loud where your ears can hear you because faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Let's make this confession today to Jesus. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Help me to live a new life in you. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. And today I ask that you would forgive me of all my sins. I accept you today as Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk with you all the days of my life. I place my faith in you and I place my trust in you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone shout a big amen. Amen, amen. Come on, why don't we celebrate with every person? Come on, church, let's make some noise. People, new life, new salvation in Jesus. Amen.